please pray with me. God, we thank you for this day that you have made, and uh, we ask that you would empower us to rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you that we can gather once again in this way to worship you corporately, even though we are scattered, and then to hear from you. And so we pray, God, that now uh, you will speak to us. I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive what it is that you have for us. I pray for me, God, that, um, that you would speak through me. I pray that um, I would speak clearly and that it would be your words uh, to your people who are hungry uh, to feed on the bread of life. I pray that you would be with us in this moment. I pray that your word would come alive for us. And I pray that we would not leave this moment unchanged because we've had an encounter with you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the work that you are doing in and amongst us. We pray that we would continue to see you at work. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it's so great to be back with you all again today. We are moving right along in our Back to Basics series. And today's text is from 2 Corinthians, just one verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, I'll give you one minute if you're going to try and find that in your Bible uh, or as we normally do, we'll have it up on the screen if you want to follow along that way. Again, 2 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 18. And I just want to give a disclaimer right now, very often when I'm talking or speaking and I'm in either Corinthians or Chronicles, I mess it up and I'll say 2 Chronicles, but what I mean is 2 Corinthians and vice versa. So if at some point during this sermon, I refer to the text that we are looking at today as 2 Chronicles. Please know it was just a mistake. We are in 2 Corinthians. I just want to preemptively say that uh, in case, case that happens at some point in the next, uh, next few moments. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, when I was in high school, I had a, a really good friend who was one of four boys. He had two older brothers and a younger brother. And uh, about the time we got to high school, uh, their dad helped them get some lawn mowing equipment, and they started a little lawn service, a little lawn mowing business that the four boys all, all worked in. Uh, now, now, for those of you who are natives to the Bay Area, I know the transplants, I don't need to explain this, but for those of you who are native to the Bay Area, I probably I just need to do a little bit of framing of what lawns look like in places other than the Bay Area. So here, if you are blessed to have a lawn in the Bay Area, for most of us, that, that patch of grass is so small that you could conceivably use scissors to mow it and still get it done in a reasonable amount of time. But I grew up in Ohio, and we had real yards, like real lawns. Like a, a, a lawnmower would take you, it could take you a couple hours to mow the grass with a lawnmower. You know, if someone from the Bay Area saw it, they might be like, oh, that's a prairie or that's a nature preserve. But no, it was just our backyard. There's just a lot more land in Ohio that's got houses on it than here in the Bay Area. A lot more, a lot more houses here in the Bay Area, a lot fewer houses on a lot more land in Ohio. So they started a lawn mowing business. And uh, very frequently on the weekends, one or two of them wouldn't be able to work because they had something else, sports or something going on. And so oftentimes my friend would ask me if I could come and help with the lawn service. Now I had been mowing my own grass at my house for many years up to that point, but that was just on our little like 22 inch Toro lawnmower. And, and they had a, a big industrial 
It was called a skag. I can still remember it to this day. Massive lawnmower that you walk behind and it's got like three separate uh, areas where there are spinning blades. And so the first few times that I used that, I made terrible lines in the grass. See, when I mowed the grass at home, no one really cares that the lines are straight in the grass. But when someone is paying you to mow their grass, they expect a level of professionalism, whether you're a bunch of high schoolers or not. And so you need straight lines from the mower that you leave in the grass. And I couldn't get it. First few yards we did, I was, I, they, they were always bending or that was overlapping. And then my friend told me something that I still remember to this day, which transformed the way that I made lines in the grass when I mowed. He said, stop looking right in front of you. Don't look at the ground that is right in front of the mower. He said, you need to lift your gaze and you need to find something in the distance. He said, look at a tree in the neighbor's yard or a tree across the street. Aim at that and walk towards it. Don't look right in front of you. And lo and behold, when you do that, when you pick a fixed object in the distance and you just aim for it and you look at it and you don't take your eyes off it and you walk towards it, it gives you straight lines in the grass. What you look at in the distance dramatically affects what is happening around you when it comes to mowing lawns. Now, that is also true in life. What is true in the business of mowing the grass is the same in life. What we look at dramatically affects what is going on around us. And here's what I want us to see today. We are all looking at something. We're all aiming at something. As we move through this thing we call life, we all have something in the distance that we have fixed our eyes on, that we are looking at and we are moving towards. And that thing, whether we realize it or not, is dramatically affecting the way our lives are going. What we look at in the distance is the difference between straight and orderly lines in life or crooked and bent lines as we move through this life. And so the question I want to hang over this sermon this morning is this. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? What are your eyes fixed upon? What are you moving towards? What are you aiming at? What are you looking at? We're continuing today in our Back to Basics series. And we've actually, uh, we're coming out of halftime. This week was halftime for our Back to Basics series. We're halfway through it. And for those who may not have been here for the first part of it, just as a quick reminder, what we are trying to do in this series as we came into 2021, a year with so much uncertainty, is to lean into the things that we believe as Christians are certain. And so we rooted this series in a story that's found in Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John heal someone. They're brought before the Jewish council. The Jewish council is astonished by the way Peter and John are acting and speaking, and they realize it is because they have been with Jesus. And so we spent the first half of this Back to Basics series talking about what does it look like to be with Jesus. We talked about being in His Word. And we talked about, we spent three weeks actually uh, looking at prayer. What does it look like to pray? And if any of you are feeling like we just scratched, barely scratched the surface on prayer, I feel the same way. And there's good news. I can't remember if I've shared this with you all yet or not, uh, but we're going later in the spring, we're actually gonna return back to the theme of prayer. I think it is so important. Uh, we're gonna do a series later on uh, that looks at some of the great prayers of the Bible. So we're gonna rest assured, we're coming back to prayer in the near future. So uh, Peter and John are there before the council. 
they recognize, the council does, that something has happened to them because they have been with Jesus. So the first half of this series, we were looking at what does it like, look like to be with Jesus. And what happens in that story is that they tell Peter and John, knock it off. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop teaching about him. And this is how they respond. Remember, we talked about this when we, when we kicked off this series. In verses 19 and 20 of Acts 4, this is what they say to the council. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Being with Jesus had changed them. Being with Jesus had transformed their lives. And so for the second half of this series, that is what we want to lean into. They couldn't hide the fact that they had been with Jesus because they had been transformed by it. And so what we're going to look at from now and for the next few weeks is what is that transformation that happens with Jesus look like? How does that actually play out in our day-to-day lives? Okay, we've talked about what does it look like to be with Jesus, or at least we've scratched the surface. And now we want to look at how does that actually play out? What does that mean for our daily lives. And the answer is, as we see, or the the answer we're going to look at today, as we see in that text in Acts chapter 4, is that being with Jesus changes us. Being with Jesus transforms us. And if I can just put a Christianese word on top of that, what we're really talking about is discipleship. What we're really talking about is being a disciple. Now, those are words that get used a lot in churches and in the Christian world. And I think oftentimes we use them and a lot of us aren't even really sure what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to, to, what does discipleship mean? And so the the Greek word for disciple gets at the idea of a learner, a, a pupil, a student, someone who is following the teachings of someone else and adhering to it. But, but when we talk about disciple today, when we talk about discipleship today in the church, what I think we are getting at more than just learning is we are getting at change. We are getting at transformation. And we only have to look at the disciples. Again, their name was disciples to get that picture because here were guys who after spending a number of years with Jesus looked radically different than they did before. This is as basic as we can get when it comes to thinking about what the Christian life is. When we talk about back to basics, this idea that spending time with Jesus transforms us is is basic. But here's the deal. What is unique about that in terms of the Christian walk is not the transformation. We are all being transformed. We are all changing, whether we know it or not. That is not what is unique about the Christian idea of discipleship. Here's what is. What is unique about the Christian idea of discipleship is not the fact that we are transformed, but it is what we are transformed into. It is what we are transformed into. And that is why we are looking at the verse. That is why we are looking at the text that we are looking at today. This book, 2 Corinthians, is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a place called Corinth. He had helped start the church. Uh, this church, had, this church was, uh, had an amazing level of dysfunction. This church would make a lot of the churches that we look at today and say that church has a lot of problems. This church in Corinth made them look good. So a lot of these letters, a lot of these letters that, that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, are dealing with specific difficult issues that that church was going through, uh, dealing with personal issues that that church was going through. And as we come to 2 Corinthians and the verse that we are looking at today, Paul has been addressing some specific issues of that church. He's been talking about his ministry and explaining it. And he begins to get, as we come to our text, at the idea of what I just introduced, which is this, church in Corinth. If you are with Jesus, if you are walking with Jesus, if you are spending time with Jesus, it should transform you. And here's what that looks like. So that is what we are going to lean into today. And the first thing that I want us to draw out of this text is this. 
We behold what we love. We behold what we love. So this is actually a really cool section of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. Uh, Starting in verse 12 through 18, which is the verse that I just read, Paul is actually giving a commentary on an Old Testament passage. He He is commenting and expounding on a passage from Exodus 34. See, we know in the book of Exodus, and some of you will remember this, that after Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to meet with God and comes back down, we're told that his face shines. His face was physically changed by his encounter with God. And all the other Israelites didn't like it. They were scared by it. And so they had him put a veil over his face so that they wouldn't be scared by having to look at the way his countenance had been transformed by being in the presence of God. And in Exodus 34, verses 34 and 35, we're told this. It says, Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So Moses was the unique figure in Israel's history that actually interacted with God, communicated with God on behalf of all the people. And when he did, he took the veil off of his face. And what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians is that veil over Moses' face was a symbol. He says that it was a symbol for the veil that was over the Israelites' heart. The Israelites had that veil over their heart and so they couldn't see God clearly and so they couldn't understand what was going on. And what Paul says in verse 16, just two verses before the text we're looking at today is this, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So he says, now that Jesus has come, when we look at Jesus, we see God. And so we skip ahead to our, our verse that we're looking at today, verse 18. And he says, therefore, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Paul is saying that because of Jesus, when we look at him, when we behold Jesus, we see God. We see the glory of God and we see it clearly just like Moses did when he went into the tabernacle or when he went up to Mount Sinai and met with God and spoke with God and took the veil off of his face. He said, that is what it is like for us who are Christians who turn to the Lord. When we look at Jesus, we see God. When we behold Jesus, we see God. When we behold what we love, we see Jesus and we see God. Now, Uh, I'm going to bring this back to the point that I'm trying to make out of this, but I just want to explain it briefly like this. So hang with me for two seconds. Uh, Life for us is a lot like Netflix. Uh, Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus or Peacock or choose whatever it is your service is. When you log into those services, there are a lot of things that you can look at. There are a lot of things that you can look at. And theoretically, when you log into those services, you can look at whatever you want. You're not compelled to look at one or the other. Now, if your folks have the remote and they're they're imposing their will on you, or if your brother or sister has the remote and, and they're choosing, then maybe you don't have a choice. But theoretically, when you log into Netflix, you can choose to look at anything that you want. And so if I can just circle back to the question that I wanted to hang over this whole sermon, what are you looking at? I want to ask us, what are we looking at? We are not compelled to look at God. Paul, in the first part of this verse, is saying, for those who are Christians, we have had the veil removed. For those who have come to Jesus, we've had the veil removed. And and our love for God can be seen in the fact that when we look at him, we see him. 
but we are not compelled to look at him. There are many people walking around on this earth who are not looking at Jesus, who are not beholding Jesus. They are beholding something else. And so the question is, what are you looking at? We all have a tree. We all have a tree out in the distance that as we are walking behind the lawnmower of life, we are looking at it. We are aiming at it. We are shooting for it. And I would argue that tree is the thing that we love. We behold what we love. We, we look at what we love. We, it's the thing that we can't imagine doing life without. It's the thing that gets us out of bed in the morning. It's the thing that we would never put a veil between us and it. We behold what we love. And for some of us, that's money. We can't imagine what life would be like if we didn't have enough money. For some of us, it's power. For some of us, it is success and achievement and recognition. We can't fathom what life would be like if we failed at our job or at school or at athletics. For some of us, it's relationships or our children. For some of us, it's rest and leisure. We, we, can't, we don't know what to do when suffering and difficulties come because we live for the vacations. Whatever it is, we all are aiming at something. We all are looking at something. We all are beholding something. And I would argue that we are beholding the thing that we love. Now, not only do we behold the thing that we love, but the next thing I believe that Paul is going to communicate to us in this short verse that we are looking at is that we become what we love. We become what we love. Whoa. As we continue in this verse, the next thing Paul says is that we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. Do you see what he is saying there? He is saying when we look at Christ, when we behold Christ, we are being transformed into what? The same image. We are being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. When we look at Christ, when we be with Christ, when we love Jesus, we begin to be transformed. We begin to be changed into what? And this is what I was talking about earlier. This is what's unique about Christianity. We, become, we be, begin to be transformed into his image. We begin to look like Christ when we behold him, when we look at him, when we are with him. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. And that's why he says, from one degree of glory to another, from glory to glory, it means, it means in stages, in increments. It happens over time, a little bit of glory and a little bit more glory and a little bit more glory. But here's the point. Beholding Jesus doesn't just change our trajectory. It doesn't just change the direction. It doesn't just give us straight lines in the lawn that we are mowing. Beholding Jesus changes us. It doesn't shape our direction, it, shape, it does shape our direction. It doesn't just shape our direction, it shapes ourselves. It shapes our character, it shapes our identity because we become what we love. You know who got this? Actually, funnily enough, humorously enough. The folks who made the most recent Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie. Now, I, I, I hope that's a, a story that many of us are familiar with, Willy Wonka, uh, got a big chocolate factory, never open to the public, has a big competition. Whoever finds the golden tickets in his bars of chocolate will be invited for a behind-the-scenes tour of his factory. And one of the children, along with Charlie and several others, who finds a golden ticket is a boy named Augustus Gloop. He's probably my favorite character in the movie. Augustus loves to eat, and he loves his chocolate. 
always eating chocolate. He he beholds chocolate. It's what he lives for. Always has a bar in his hand. Always eating it. Always has chocolate smeared around his face. One of my favorite scenes in that whole movie is when they're beginning the tour. They're walking down this big hall and Augustus is walking next to Charlie, the main character, and Augustus is eating a chocolate bar, as he always is. And he says to Charlie, uh, would you like some chocolate? And Charlie's face just lights up and he was like, yes, I would, I would love some chocolate. And Augustus goes, then you should have brought some yourself. It's like, oh, thanks, buddy. Um, but Augustus, Augustus lives for chocolate. And in the first stop in that movie, they're in this kind of like, a nature setting within the factory, and there is a river of flowing chocolate in front of them. And even though Willy Wonka uh, tells Augustus he cannot touch it, he cannot touch that chocolate, Augustus is so beholden with the chocolate river that he can't help himself, and he goes down and begins to drink from it, pure chocolate, and he falls in, and he can't swim. And so his mom starts freaking out, and he has to be extracted by this extraction pipe that Willy Wonka has. And as they are leaving the factory, he's the first one to leave, he's covered in chocolate. It looks like he's covered in chocolate. But the dialogue between Augustus Gloop and his mother seems to indicate that not as he, he is not just covered in chocolate, he has actually turned into chocolate. He literally became what he loved. Now that is a silly picture to illustrate a serious point because Augustus Gloop is just like you and I. We become what we love. The question is not if we are transforming. The question is not if we are changing. The question is what? What are we transforming into? What are we becoming? And I, I think to answer that question, we gotta go back to the one that I wanna hang over this sermon, and that is, what are you looking at? Because what it is that you are looking at is what you are becoming, whether you realize it or not. If you love money, you're not literally gonna turn into money. But close, if you, love, if you love money, you are gonna spend all your time thinking about how to get it and how to save it and how to grow it. You're gonna think about, you're gonna spend all, all of your decisions ultimately are gonna end up being a financial decision. How does this affect my finances? You're gonna become suspicious of anyone who needs help or asks for help. If you love, if you are looking at success or achievement or, um, or performance, you are, gonna, you are gonna do everything possible to succeed. You are going to do everything possible to achieve. And if you do not, you will not know how to go on with your life. It, it, you will ruin relationships. You will ruin your own health. You will constantly compare yourself to others. You will constantly be uh, ranking yourself against others and, and no amount of success or recognition will satisfy you. If you are looking for power, you will do anything to get it. If, you're, if, you, are, if you are loving power, you will do anything to get it. You will do anything to keep it. You will constantly be worried that someone is trying to stab you in the back. You will be obsessed with people uh, uh, undercutting you and usurping you and trying to take the power that you think you are deserved, that you think you deserve. But if you are looking at Christ, if you are loving Christ, if you are aiming at Christ, then you are becoming like Christ. It is the promise of 2 Corinthians 3.18. You are being transformed into the same image. So if you are looking at Christ, over time you are going to become someone who is loving and patient and peaceful and kind and gentle and faithful and, and full of goodness and full of self-control. You are going to transform such that some people who knew you before 
will not even recognize who you are now because you are becoming what you love. Can I get an amen? You are becoming, we become what we love. So the first thing, we behold what we love. We look at what we love. The second thing, we, are, we become what we love. And then the last thing that I want us to see in this text is that we belong to what we love. We belong to what we love. Now, I just want us to recognize that, that verb in Greek that Paul uses here, which is translated in the ESV, being transformed, that is in the passive tense, not the active tense. So in the active tense, the subject is doing the action. In the passive tense, the subject is having the action acted upon it. So what is that saying? That is why in the ESV it's translated as being transformed. Because what Paul is saying here is that we are not the ones doing the transforming. We are not the ones who are able to change ourselves or to control ourselves or or, or to, to transform ourselves, excuse me. We are not the ones doing the transforming. It is something outside of us. It is an outside force that is changing us. And he doesn't make us guess because the last sentence of that verse makes it clear. He says, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what is he saying? He is saying that it is God who is working in us to transform us. When we love God, when we behold him and when we, when we are becoming like him, that change, that transformation is not happening because we're able to do it ourselves. It is because God's spirit is working inside of us. He is transforming the ones who are his. You get that? You don't transform something that's, you don't change something that's not yours. You change something that is yours. Just if, uh, if you were to go to a friend's house and start sitting in their living room and start deciding, Um, Won't it be sweet when we can go hang out in people's living rooms again? If you're in there and you're like, I don't really like the way this furniture is arranged. Uh, I'd like to, I'm going to start rearranging the furniture in my friend's living room. You can't do that. Why? Because it's not yours. You don't, you don't, it doesn't belong to you. Whereas if you're at home and you want to change the living room, you're welcome to transform it in any way that you want because it's yours. Because you can change the things that are yours. So when Paul is telling us in this verse that we are being transformed by God, it is saying that we belong to God. Because he has seen fit. He has seen that we are his and therefore he can change us. He can transform us. Now, I don't think I could preach a sermon uh, about the things that we love um, and the effect that they have on us without talking about Gollum. I think my ministerial license might be revoked if I didn't talk about Gollum. Gollum is the the conflicted character from uh, Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings stories. And, and Gollum uh, used to be a hobbit way back when, hundreds of years ago. And he was out uh, fishing, I think, one day with a relative. And they found the ring in the river. They found his, his relative. De- his name was Deagle. De- Deagle. Uh, he found the, 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 the supreme ring, the one ring to rule them all, the great ring of power. And Gollum, who was called Smeagol at the time, became captivated by that ring. He fell in love with that ring, it was all he could see. And he told, he told his relative, you need to give it to me because it's my birthday. And he wouldn't, and so, so Smeagol killed him so he could get the ring. And when we're introduced with, to, to Smeagol, he's now called Gollum. And he has been living on an island, in a lake, in a cave, at the bottom underneath the Misty Mountains. And Gollum has been there for hundreds of years, just him and the ring. And do you remember, you know what he calls the ring? It's, it's his precious. It's, it's what he lives for. It's what he beholds every day. He, he loves 
that ring so much that he calls it his precious. But, but what we recognize is that that ring has exerted an unbelievable amount of power, an unbelievable amount of control over Gollum. Gollum has lived for hundreds of years, much longer than the natural life of a hobbit. He has been transformed by the ring. Really, he has been deformed by the ring. And that ring has kept him alive while it simultaneously kills him. No, what we, what we take from the picture of Gollum is that the ring does not belong to him. He belongs to the ring. And Gollum is a picture of how the things we love control us. Tolkien understood the human heart. He understood how things work. He understood that whatever the ultimate thing is for us, whatever the thing is that we love, we belong to it. It is not an exegetical stretch for me to say that Paul in 2 Corinthians verse 18 is saying that we are not in control. Control is an illusion. Those of us who think we are in control, we are not. We are controlled by the things that we love. The things that we love are in control of, love, of us. We are transformed by outside forces. We all have a Lord of our life. And that Lord of our life is whatever we love the most. It is whatever we are beholding. If we live for money or power or success or rest or safety or security or kids or whatever else it is that we're looking at that we're living for, we are controlled by them. We are owned by them. We belong to them. And, and at the same time, if we love Jesus, if we are beholding him, we are owned, we belong to him. He controls us. We are, he controls us in such a way that we are transformed into his image. We behold what we love. We become what we love. And we belong to what we love. Now, as we wrap this up, I just want to help us to recognize that we live in a world that is bombarding us with visions for us to look at. We live in a world that is constantly setting things before us and saying, this is the tree you should look at. This is the tree you should aim at. This is what you should behold. And if you just aim for this, you will become the person that you want to be. I am here to tell you, it is a lie. There is nothing that this world offers that is worthy of our love. There is our, 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 our central love. That's not true. Your, your husband, your wife, your kids, they're all worthy of your love. There is, there is nothing this world offers that is worthy of the love that Christ alone demands, that Christ alone is worth. Nothing in this world is worthy of our gaze. We must lift our eyes. We must lift our eyes off of what is directly in front of us and put them on the horizon. And there is a tree on the horizon for us to aim at. There is a tree in the distance for us to behold. And that tree has a beaten, bloodied, torn up man hanging on it, dying for my sins and for yours. It is a tree that the savior of the world hangs on is the tree that Jesus cross died on. Jesus Christ died on. It is the cross. Our world knows nothing of that vision. Our world knows nothing of a suffering savior. Our world knows nothing of a crucified God, but he is so much better than any vision this world can give us. He is worthy of beholding. He is worthy of our love. He is the one that is worth pursuing. He is so much more beautiful than anything this world can offer. And he is the only one who can change us into what we are meant to be. 
It is not a question of if we are being transformed. It is how we are being transformed. What we love matters because we become what we love. So what are you looking at? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the truth that when we spend time with you, we are changed. There is so much hope in that, God, because for, for all of us, we are not who we want to be. And so I pray, God, that you would empower us through the power of your spirit, as you have promised in this verse that we just looked at, that you would empower us to, to, to look to you, to behold you, and in beholding you, to become like you and to belong to you. It is that whether we recognize it or not, God, it is the longing of our hearts. And we thank you for the promise that is found in it. Help us to love you. Help us to look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. I uh, hope to see uh, many of you at our uh, prayer and worship night this coming Friday. Uh, you are loved and you are prayed for and you are sent.